Hello and welcome to the American Sheep Industry Association's Research Update. I'm your host, Jake Thorne. Uh, so it's the coldest time of year in the United States, but for sheep folks, what that means is that shearing is right around the corner. And whether or not you own sheep and have them sheared, or maybe you're actually a shearer yourself, I think you're really going to enjoy this month's podcast. Uh, we've invited professional shearer and shearer trainer, Mike Pora from Australia, to join us as we discuss harvesting wool from a couple different angles. Uh, so producers are definitely going to be able to pick up some tips from Mike on how to make the day more successful. And aspiring shearers, like I said, are definitely going to want to listen to Mike's expertise. So Mike, thanks very much for joining us all the way from New South Wales. Thank you very much for having me. It's a shame with the COVID crisis at the moment, I can't be in the US. I normally fly out about now and deliver four or five schools across US and Canada. Unfortunately, that's not on this year, but next year, hopefully we're back at it. Hopefully next year. We'll keep our fingers crossed. Absolutely. Uh, so Mike, before we dive too much into the topic of, of shearing, can you first just give us a little bit of background about yourself and, and your involvement in the shearing industry? Uh, you know, both maybe in Australia and the United States. Yep. So I was born um, in Victoria and grew up in Victoria, New South Wales, on the eastern side of Australia. And my father was a shearing contractor, which meant every school holidays I was out with the shearing crews and doing some wool. And when I left school, I did wool handling for a while. I became certified as a wool classer, wool grader. And I did that for four years while I was learning to shear. And after I learned to shear, we had a crisis in uh, a drought and wool prices crashed in the early 90s. And in 1995, I got a job with a man called Gordon Scott in New Mexico. And I did a season there and in over to Kansas and Oklahoma. And then we, the following year, Gordon had sold his run to another man that's well known, Kevin Hickman. And I worked for Kevin for a year. Unfortunately, after that, we didn't get any more permits, but in the next 13 years, I shore in about 20 countries of the world now and traveled through over 80 countries of the world by shearing sheep. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. Uh, 14, about 13, 14 years ago, I'd had enough of living out of a backpack. So I moved back to New South Wales where I was approached about doing some shearer training and helping the next generation. So I started doing that and I did that for eight years for the government. And then I had enough of the government and the paperwork that so now I work for Australian Wool Innovations and I go around shearer training for them. Um, interesting, we, we moved to Cowra with my wife and I. Um, I have 200 acres here. With We run about 200 ewes ourselves, uh, first cross ewes, which are out of a merino ewe with a borderless the father. So over that lamb, then we put a pole dorset to make a terminal lamb. And we do that in my spare time when I'm not shearing or training. And I live at Cowra now. And within one hour and 30 minutes of my house, there's about 2 million breeding ewes. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's something that's really hard for, for us in the United States to fathom, but it's really, really neat as well. Definitely. Uh, I was going to ask you if you've, you've sheared in the, commercially in the United States or, or how long you have, but obviously um, it, it's been quite extensive uh, time. Uh, you know, how long have you been doing schools in, in the U.S.? Uh, about four to five years. About five years ago, I started with one in Canada. And the American guys, there was someone come to that and I got talking to them. So it's been four years in the US and, yeah, they've just growing and growing. We just started with one at Van Wells Livestock in South Dakota, which uh, Mike Hagens, Lauren Opstadal and Alex Moser help organise that for me. 
and now we've grown into Montana with uh, George Kerr and Mike Schultz organized one there and over to Oregon with Jake. Awesome. That's great. So, uh, you know, since your involvement in the Australian shearing industry, let's start there. Uh, how have you seen it adapt and change over time? And, and you know, what are you, what do you believe are the reasons why those changes have occurred? Uh, as I just mentioned, in the early 90s, we had we had a wool reserve price scheme, and for nearly a hundred years, all our sheep were bred for wool. Um, we had, the wool market was excellent. In the early 90s, the wool market crashed. Um, we had a severe drought where numbers crashed from at the height around 1990. We got to nearly 200 million sheep in Australia. Uh, after the early 90s, we were back down to about 60 million sheep. So we lost huge numbers. Um, because they bred for wool, they hadn't given much thought to fertility and a fast-growing sheep that could be sold off as a lamb. It was grown out to be a mutton and sold as mutton. So now we're finding the sheep are changing. They're a little bit easier to shear. They're not cutting as much wool for a majority of the new breeders, uh, but there are in the last 30 years they've they've tripled, doubled in size. They're just getting real big meat sheep now. Yeah. How about just the number of shearers that are working in Australia? How, how has that kind of changed uh, with the the losses in, in population of, of sheep? Well, numbers, as shearers crashed, a lot of them got out of it in the 90s when numbers came down. There wasn't the work for them. It became more seasonal for about 10 or 15 years. Um, there were seasons where, and then the shearers would jump on tractors, bit similar to the US, I suppose, where you shear a very long season from about now to July, August, and then there's not a lot go from August till Christmas. So it became seasonal like that. Now we're finding that there is work all year round, especially with COVID at the moment. Um, we couldn't get our influx of New Zealand and American and UK shearers. So we're down about 500 shearers on what we normally have at this time, well, from August till Christmas. So... Yeah. It's now back to full work year for the guys. They're not having any time off at the moment. Right. How about just the, the you know, let's talk maybe the work day itself or, or the actual shearing event. Has has any of that changed um, just in, you know, I don't want maybe the pattern or um, is there been some kind of new thought on, on what's best or most efficient uh, in your time in the industry? With the evolving of the sheep, our shearing pattern's evolving all the time. We're changing all the time. In Australia, with Australian Wool Innovations and New Zealand trainers, we get together about every year or two and we discuss new things, new techniques, new options. And we all go through it and we're, we're constantly evolving with the sheep because a sheep twice the size has a lot more power and a lot more strength than it did 20, 30 years ago. So we have to evolve and change our style a bit, manipulate the sheep to make it comfortable as well as ourselves. Yeah, and there's probably been new gear that's been developed and, and new um, you know, technology from that aspect that that's may, maybe made some changes as well during that time period. Yes, yes, we're all on the white combs now. Um, electric machines, the safety equipment out there now is incredible. So it's making the job easier and more safer. Great. So here in the U.S., um, your experiences since you've been coming and, and doing the school. So, uh, you know, obviously it's just been four or five years, but have you seen an increase in excitement and, and maybe an increase in number of people that are attending those schools since you've, since you've been coming and, and maybe seeing some growth of that? Yes, our courses get bigger and bigger every 
year we run them, there's more and more interest. Um, unfortunately, we try and cap it at so many people so they get the most out of it. Um, we don't want too many there. Um, there. There's always something you can learn. There's always new things and new ways to make it easier. And one of the things I love about American training, if when we run the courses in South Dakota or Montana, there's people fly from other states to get there. If they're going to fly interstate and they're going to pay accommodation, a higher car, it's quite an outlay. So they really come there to learn as much as they can and take that improvement home, whether it's to make their job faster or to make them more easier and do it easier at the end of the day so they're not so tired. Sure, that's great. Now, since you've sheared commercially in the U.S. and obviously in Australia, let's talk about maybe the setup or um, the, just the conditions that you've sheared under. What what are some differences between the two uh, Australia and the United States, and what are maybe some areas of needed improvement uh, from the producer side to make the day more efficient? Uh, well, in Australia, we don't we don't have to take trailers around or take machinery around. Every farmer will have their own shed, unless it's just a hobby farmer with thirty or forty sheep. Maybe you have to take something to them, but otherwise, there'll be a shed. There'll be a catching pen for you. There'll be a shearing machine there. You don't even have to take that most of the time. Everything's put on by the farmer. Uh, we work four two-hour spells starting at 7.30. And if you're on travel, you'll finish at 5.30. Um, generally, it's only a five-day week. We won't work weekends, but this year we are having to try and work weekends to keep up quite a lot. But in the US, being seasonal, they'll work seven days when the sheep are dry, keep going through to get everything done in a certain time. So if they're not taking a, a trailer and, and equipment, what are the expectations of the shearing crew um, when they arrive on the farm or at the place? What do they expect to have set up and provided by the farmer for the day? Uh, set up by farm. The sheep should be shedded overnight or at least in the yards overnight for us here. Um, that's part of our work health and safety program. It just an empty sheep makes it so much easier for the shearers to handle. Um, we have a really big work health and safety program at the moment um, where everything should be up to a certain standard. Um, you want the farmer organised. The worst thing to do is start the day late. So generally our farmers are really good at that for us at the moment. Yeah. So you mentioned some standards that you have in place. Can you maybe elaborate a little bit more on that? What What are the standards that are followed there regarding the shearing industry and, and shearing uh, in general? It's a whole huge book on it at the moment. Uh, yeah, so as I said, the sheep have to be emptied out. Um, there's a certain distance between shearers they should keep. So if a sheep kicks and the handpiece goes into it, doesn't go into somebody else so easy, it'll hit a wall or something first. Um, yeah, there, there's all things like chemical repairs of the shed so there's no broken boards, no sharp protruding objects, anything like that has to be kept up to date at the moment. Okay. And do you think that, you know, these evolving evolving standards, they've benefited the shearing industry, both shearers and producers over time? Definitely. Um, unfortunately, shearers have got one of the highest rates of work cover accidents, so insurance accidents um, in the country, but it is slowly getting better with better conditions. Um, yeah, making sure everything's up to a certain standard, running water, toilets for flushing if they, get, they need it and things like that. So, yeah. With more and more girls doing the wool and more and more girls taking up shearing, we definitely want those better standards for them as well. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Uh, you, you briefly said it a second ago. Um, I'd just like you to expand on it 
the schedule for the workday? You know, and you said you start, you know, in the morning and have a set time, but what about during the day? It's always kind of fascinating to hear how, you know, how, how precise this, the scheduling is. So we'll start shearing at 7.30 till 9.30 for a, and then have a 30-minute break from 10 o'clock to 12 o'clock and then have an hour break for lunch and then from 1 till 3 o'clock and then have another 30-minute break and then from 3.30 to 5.30. If you're on camp out, which is staying at the farm, or a lot of the bigger mm-hmm. farms will have quarters and accommodation for you. They'll go right to 5.30. If you're travelling back to your own house at night, you'll probably finish around 5 o'clock to allow yeah. for that 20, 30-minute drive home. Okay. All right. And I, I want to flip the, the viewpoint here. And, uh, you know, I asked you a second ago, what is expected uh, when the shearers arrive at, at the farm? What, what about what is expected of the shearers by the farmer or the owners of the sheep? You know, what, what can they expect when they contract a crew in Australia? So I put this, out, this question out to a good neighbour of mine that I was talking with this morning and having coffee with. And he's uh, Chris Groves is his name, and he's the was the chairperson of Sheep Milk Council in Australia, and he actually did a lot of dealings with ASI. And he said he knows quite a lot of farmers that are members of your council and that there. And yeah. his answer was work ethic as the number one. You got to be pro- professional about things. The quality of job um, from four to eight anywhere. If you're just she- supplying shearers in Australia to a farmer and he's going to do the wool himself, it'll be $4. If you're supplying a complete package with a wool handler, wool classer, and you're looking at $8 plus, which $8 is cheap for a really good crew, but it's a lot of money for a poor crew. So he wants that. Uh, A calm environment. He wants, uh, yeah, he said that you don't want them showing up and being stressed from a late night or something's gone wrong at home, so they've shown up and everything's in a mess and when they start shearing, it only deteriorates as the day goes on. Uh, he wants them to follow the farm policies of their health and safety as well so they're not breaking the rules themselves and be punctual, be on time and finally and probably most importantly now is the animal welfare. Respect the animals, look after the animals, don't try and lose your temper, don't injure the animals. Um, yeah, they're a tough animal to work with sheep but you've just got to be patient with them and work with them. Okay. And, and that's, again, something that I want to ask you to expand just a little bit on. What, what are the animal welfare standards associated with shearing um, there in Australia, uh, maybe regarding cuts or, or some injuries? Uh, yeah, there's, again, there's a whole book on it. But to sum it up there, if there's cuts, we have to suture them, sew them up, uh, and then treat them. And more and more places with the uh, – if we're selling direct to sale and things, we um, have to do record what we've done to them. If we put any um, treatment on them, what treatment it was, what the animal number was, and the, if you're in a stud, that's particularly important. They need to know everything that's happened to that sheep. So, yeah, we have to start recording what we've done to the animal. If we s- stitched it up, if it's come through with a broken leg or something, what practices are going to be done to it? Yeah, Okay. While we're talking about treatments of, of the animals, uh, you know, just in your experience, you know, you and I were chatting a little bit ahead of time, talking about what can also be done when the animal is recently sheared, including treating for external parasites. Well, why is that so important to, to include? Maybe lice or kids here in the U.S. is, is a problem. Um, why is it important to be prompt about those treatments right after shearing? 
If it's a backlining treatment, the chemical in the backliner, I'm told, has to touch the skin and it has it can spread around the sheep on the skin. If it's not done within 24 hours of treatment of shearing, then it's unable to because the thin skin's already thickened up overnight and there's a protection over the skin. So you need to apply that straight away. If you're doing what we still have some plunge dippers here, that can be done at any time because the whole animal's being sunk underneath. But if you're going to use your backliners, you've only got a limited amount of time before it can be done. Plunge dipping though, you'll leave them for a week or two to get over any minor little cuts. It's a harsher chemical in there and you'll treat them after a week or two. Okay. And obviously sheep need to be emptied out um, before before shearing for a certain period of hours. Um, should producers go right back on with some feed directly after shearing, help those animals fill up? Uh, is that a, a, a recommended practice too? Yes. Yep. Straight back onto food and water. Um, yeah, we have in drought times, we don't have to have the sheep off food and water as long, but in a good year, like last year, we, we'd had three years of drought. Last year was a great year. The sheep were huge here. We were making sure the farmers had the sheep in overnight before we'd even have a look at shearing them. So yeah, straight after that, back onto food, back onto water and they're fine after that. Okay. Great. All right, so I want to back up just a little bit and, and go back to talking about the U.S. industry and, and some of the schools. You know, here in the U.S., the number of sheep shearers um, has been honestly declining uh, along with the sheep population, like we discussed. Uh, but there's been a, a recent resurgence in the number of shearing schools that are now being offered across the U.S. in hopes of training the new generation of shearers. And obviously, there's quite a plethora of, of shearing schools available in Australia and New Zealand. Um, do you think that what, you know, how our schools are organized and, and that approach of trying to train new shearers, is that the right path for the United States or, or is that the way to build up that industry um, to hopefully, you know, eventually produce more shearers? I think so. Shearing is the world's hardest job. One hour shearing is the same physical toll on the body and that's one hour's casual shearing. It's the same physical toll as a five kilometer run, a five mile run, about seven to eight kilometer run you're doing about 40 miles a day in an eight hour day over a week you're doing about 280 miles on your body it's hard it's not for everyone so the only um everywhere you run courses you have some that drop out after two or three days that they just realize it's not for them it's not as easy as it looks which is about the first comment everyone says it's not as easy as it looks so a good shearer makes it look pretty easy um so the only way you're going to get more people in is run more courses and keep them coming and now it's a profession for these we treat it like a sport so they've got about a 10 or 15 year career at the height and doing it for eight hours a day so if they can do more of that get that into them um yeah it's a great career for them to take up because they can get year round work now yeah absolutely now the schools that you come in and, and helping with those are more for training advanced shearers or, or shearers that are already shearing a, a decent number of sheep a day um, there are a number of courses like i mentioned that are helping beginners um, and if any of our listeners want to to find a course um, there's a number of extension offices and universities and and professional shearers that are offering those across the u.s um, look on the asi website for information more about that but mike um, the the advanced schools that you are hosting what's the goal there what you know what are you trying to improve and, and what are you trying to offer the students when they attend those advanced schools well you're never too old to learn a new trick 
um, new skills. So we're training. The shearers come to the courses for two reasons. They either want to be faster and better at it or do it easier. So as you find as they get older, they're suddenly realising the sheep, a 100-kilo sheep that when you're in your 20s, you just get it over and manhandle it. That's easy. But now as you get to your 50s and my age, a 100-kilo sheep's a bit of a challenge. So you want to learn these little tips of manoeuvring the sheep, how you can best position yourself and them that it's not hurting you and their sheep. And I get incredible feedback from older men and that, that say, wow, I didn't know I could do that position without it hurting me. So, yeah, that's the reasons they come. We find two-day workshops are the best. One day is too short. But for advanced years, two days is enough. Three days, it's starting to blow their mind how much information they're getting. So two days works ideal for us, and that's what we're specialising in. And we're getting a lot of the trainers coming to these courses and upskilling how they approach teaching the young ones at their beginner courses too. Right. Uh, So also, can can – Shearers that have gone through your course here, would there be opportunities to go through a similar training or work experience in Australia or uh, overseas? Yep, yep definitely. Um, we've had quite a few. I think we're up to about 17 or 18 US and UK shearers come over and Canadians. Um, so because your season goes from January through to around July, August maybe, Um, And then you have nothing. And George Kerr and the Montana wool growers were the first to really approach me about a program. I'd had others come, but this was the first program. Whereas they said they were losing a lot of their young ones that had no work from that time. They'd go and get another job and then they'd stay there because they didn't want the seasonal work. They're finding, well, our busiest time is from August till Christmas. Um, Basically, if you can hold a handpiece and got a heartbeat, you will get a job shearing in Australia at that time of year. So... They found that it was the perfect fit. They can send them here. They do the season there. They come here. And so they get a 12-month working holiday visa. And they don't have to be part of George's program. They can do that on their own as well if they want and come over. And then in Australia, we have a program ourselves where if they do 88 days work outside of the cities, they can get a second-year visa. And now we've just introduced if they do three uh, six months of that second year outside of the cities, they can apply for a third-year visa. So that's open to anyone 30 years of age and under. If you're over that, it gets a little harder, but we're trying to come up with ways around that too. Okay, great. So is that correspondence with with George Kerr, is is that what kind of motivated you to come to the U.S. and and start hosting these schools? Or what was was your mindset? Why why did you decide to come and, and, and do something generous for our industry like that? Um, it started actually before George Kerr. He came to um, the South Dakota schools at Van Wells Livestock. They, he came there and met me there. Uh, a guy by the name of Sean Fainer. I'd been going to the Calgary Stampede quite a few times and met them all there. And I met a few guys and um, like Lauren Opstadal, Hillary Geitzen and that and got talking to them. And they were talking to some young ones there about things. And I just listened for a while and I said, well, some of that information's outdated. We've changed things a bit there. And like, oh, wow. So I got talking to them. And then Sean Fainer, a Canadian, he came over and spent three months here, went home and organised the shearing school for me the next year. And the American said, well, you better come here. So thanks to Lauren Opstadal, Alex Moser and Mike Hagens, they set up that course there and it went from there. And yeah, I just love training and teaching people that it is a great job. It is a thing you can travel the world, you can meet lots of people, you can have fun. 
you're not stuck in an office with a boss telling you that you've only got two weeks holiday a year. You can basically decide when you want holidays and when you don't want holidays. Sure, there's the busy times that you shouldn't take holidays, but when it quietens down, you can have two months off if you want. Yeah, absolutely. I've always been really fascinated about the the sharing culture that's in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, you know, I, I follow on, on social media uh, many of the shearing competitions, and it seems like, you know, every weekend there's a there's a shearing contest somewhere. Uh, and, you know, I'm starting to recognize many of the, the professional shearers that are winning these. Uh, that's just not something that we have quite to the same extent uh, in the United States. Um, is that kind of your, you know, your experience with the culture? Uh, shearing is, is very much more of a kind of a celebrated thing in, in Australia. Uh, you know, how, even, how, how did that come about? How was that built? That even more so in New Zealand. Like in New Zealand, at the, some of their big shows, the Golden Shears, and the Prime Minister will come and present the prizes to them. Yeah. Well, I still can't ever picture that happening in Australia, that our Prime Minister comes and sees us. But the culture started um, – for them, it's a huge employer. It's um, one of the biggest employers in New Zealand agriculture. And there, and inside that is a huge Indigenous population. The Maoris have got a huge number of shearers from them and make awesome shearers. In Australia, I think it did become – in World War II, shearers were not allowed to go to the war. Um, the whole wool clip was conscripted to the British Army to fight in Europe and without shearers taking the wool off, they weren't allowed to go. So they were left at home as the only males here uh, doing the labour work on the farms and things. So that improved things. Um, and all the time with these records and through social media, we're seeing people post their best tallies all the time. It's growing all the time. It's getting Everyone's getting excited about what potential there is for these young ones. Yeah, that's great. Now, you, you mentioned you've sheared all over the world, not just in Australia, New Zealand, and the U.S. Um, how is how is shearing different in, in other countries? You know, what is your experiences there? We'd love to hear that. Uh, so there's probably Australia, New Zealand, the Falkland Islands have shearing sheds per se. The rest of the time it could be on trailers and things around the world. Um, Switzerland's probably one of the weirdest setups going where the contractor would drop me into a town with my shearing tools and underneath a house that it might have 20 sheep underneath one house and they're there for four or five months over winter. And across the road, there might be, he might have five and down the road, he might have two. So you set up a machine with a board and you start shearing and then there'll be a bucket behind you and they'll just put the money in there. And they're very honest, the Swiss, and they'll all just put money. And then once you finish that place, you put all your gear into a wheelbarrow and they'll move you around three or four streets and there'll be another house with 10 sheep under that and they all know whose house you're going to and then there'll be another one give you five sheep and another one will, he might bring it. There was one time he brought two sheep and he had a special cart design that he, behind his push bike that he could take him up the park of an afternoon and graze. So mm. you shear them and they put the money in your till. So that's probably the weirdest setup for a shearer that's coming from used to doing eight-hour days in Australia. Uh Probably shearing in Rome is incredible that you're in a park and there might be hundreds of people come and watch you for the day just where they graze their sheep in the mountains over summer and then suddenly over winter they graze them in a park in the middle of Rome where you can see the Vatican City behind you. So things like that are pretty amazing. Shetland Islands where you're shearing at 11 o'clock at night, you might it might have been wet in the morning and not started till 4 in the afternoon and it's still light at 11 o'clock so you're still shearing at 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's great. I, I mean, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you what are or what is kind of your craziest or, or most fun story uh, from there in Australia. It sounds like you've got some great ones from across the world. <laughs> from across the world, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. obviously, your best, your best, your the ones you remember most to be your best tallies, I suppose. And everyone yeah. prepares themselves for that one day. Um, yeah, and certainly my best is a shearer is 567 in Shetland Islands and I'll remember that forever and 356 in West Australia um, but then when you're young that's what you remember the most but looking back now I love it that I was fit enough that one year I saw 61,000 sheep for the year and I was able to maintain my fitness and to me that's one of my best traits now is that I was able to maintain fitness and health for so many years without having injuries. Uh, Outside of continued work, you know, what goes into the fitness that is required to shear three, four, five hundred head a day? A lot. A lot of uh, preparation, time to get yourself your back right, your body right. Uh, the food has to be right. And that's where in America you have two different scenarios that I see is the contractors that are doing those eight-hour days, but you have a huge number of shearers shearing alone where they're doing 50 sheep here and 20 sheep there, and it's a whole different approach. The shearers on the runs out west and in the mountains for you that are doing, they have to prepare themselves there for a long, hard day some days, um, whereas the other shearers are shearing short, sharp bursts, but it's full attention because the farmer's standing there, and if they've got 20 sheep, generally those sheep are named. so. They want to make sure that everything's perfect. So they have to be attention span full on for short, sharp bursts, whereas your shearers on your runs out west, they have to be physically there for eight hours continuously. So it's a whole different ball game over there. Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't mean to cut you off there a second ago. Uh, I, I did want to ask you, you know, we've talked about your best and your, your highest tally. Surely you've got a, a bad story in there somewhere or a weird experience you know, what, can you, do you have anything to, to share there? Bad. There's a lot of bad days where you go to work <laughs> and the sheep aren't quite what you thought they were going to be. They might have just had lambs and their rules really stuck to them and things like that. As a trainer, I think I was only laughing about it with my wife last night. Probably the worst day training I've ever had was trying to teach her after <laughs> the first sheep had a heart attack and I had to resuscitate it and get it back to life. Oh, and the second sheep... The door was open to the shed and it went out, so it got away on her and here I am running up the paddock trying to chase his half-shorn sheep. So I said, never again. I'm not dealing with my wife again. That's, uh, <laughs> she has never asked me again. So that ended that situation. <laughs> but sounds like understanding from both sides. Great. Exactly. So <laughs> yeah. a couple of the weirdest things I've ever had is in West Australia, we were shearing away and... We were. I was going for my first 300 on the day uh, in Australia, and these men showed up in suits and all dressed up. And they it was about 15 minutes to lunchtime, and they said to the wool class, "We're just going to go and talk to some and so." And the classes said, "No, can you wait till lunchtime? We're a bit busy." And they laughed and said, "No, we're not waiting. We're taking him now." Turns out they sat us down at lunchtime, and uh, he's now in jail for murder. He'd been, oh. uh, yeah, he murdered the man and got out there. But the weirdest thing of that was he was with us for two months and we couldn't get him to go into a catching pen and pen sheep up. He was petrified of sheep. But he murdered a man. So that was one of the weirdest days I think I'll never forget in Australia. 
in Italy, I had an experience where I was shearing away with a New Zealander and I said to him, I was on the side of the sheep on the longbow and I said, I think there's something in this wool. He's like, oh, no, you're just trying to stir me up. So I slowly finished the sheep off, keeping eye on the wool, and I stepped back away. I shook the fleece out and a snake dropped out of the wool onto the board where he tried to hibernate for winter. And the Kiwi shearer, well, he didn't even turn his machine off because there's no snakes in New Zealand. He just let his damn face go, jumped off the board, took off. All the farm workers took off. It took the farmer to come along and pick up the snake and take him away out of our way. So that's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I would. Uh, that would be quite the shock. Oh, yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, I, I guess I want to get to some some take-home messages for our, our listeners. Uh, yeah, we have to turn back serious here for a second. Uh, you know, as a, as a producer uh, or an owner of sheep, uh, what are the, the top five things that they need to consider before shearing crews arrive um, to help make the wool harvest go as, as best as possible? What, what are some things that they need to have on their mind to make that go as smooth as possible? I'd say... Be prepared, um, have things organised, um, take the time to get everything ready because the shearing crew, there's nothing worse, whether it's a day or an hour's shearing or three days shearing, starting late every day. You feel you're chasing yourself all day to get what you had planned and programmed so you keep on schedule. So be prepared, have everything you think you need there and a bit extra um, to get a good start to the day. If possible, um the tags or dags or any the shit around the ass have that removed prior. Um, so the shearers, if they're going to try and take it off, they're going to have to have a sharper comb off if they're really stuck on the sheep. And mm-hmm. they so if they've got a sharper comb there, they're running risk. If the wool's really soft on the skin, then you can cut them more. Um, so I'd try and have them. And the other thing for that, if you're pr- doing a wool preparation, some of that Dags, tags, stain gets in the wool, there goes your wool quality. So it's best to be away from there anyway. Make it easier on your wool preparation, people. Um, I'd say enjoy the experience. Um, It's the culmination of your year's work. Um, If you're a wool producer and you're breeding for wool, it's your grand final. It's the final. It's everything, your Super Bowl. Um, What happens on that day affects your wool clip. If you don't enjoy it and you're stressed, it makes it hard for the shearers to enjoy it and do the job easy. And if you're stressed, the sheep sense it. And so the shearers are trying not to be stressed about the day too. Um, at the end of the day, we're all there for the one thing. Farmers can't, if they've got wool sheep, they can't do it without shearers at the moment. And shearers can't survive without the farmers having it. So we're all there together um, to do the best that we can. As I said earlier, sheep or feed and water is huge for shearers. Um, if you go on to make it easier for the shearers, if you go and have a huge meal, a Sunday lunch or something, and then you sit down and you try and roll around on the ground, it hurts your stomach. It's the same for sheep. If you have them straight in or feed, shearer tries to turn them and try and bend them where they need, they just won't do it and they resist and then they start kicking and you've got more injury risks. Um, professionalism, if you want to be, if you want the shearers to be professional about things, you need to be yourself, I would say. And if you lead the way, then they'll give it back to you um, and they will do the same back. Okay, great. Is Was there something when you came to the U.S. and, and sheared for the first time, was there something noticeably different about the way 
um, things were in Australia and the U.S. or, or maybe something here in the U.S. that you notice right away uh, could be changed or could be better from an efficiency standpoint? Uh, not really. The places that were doing the wool preparation were doing it outside a lot. Um, and it was getting windy and a lot of the wool was blowing away in that. And But I think from the sounds, a lot of places are starting to have barns and do that wool preparation inside, getting it all prepared a lot better. Um, yeah, classing the wool out, removing any inferiority, pro it, the products, the inferior products, getting them prepared. It seems like where I've seen and um, Duckworth out there in Montana, some of the places that are preparing fleeces for wool, even over in Oregon with Jake Valentine and that, the fleeces that they know are going to be good spinning fleeces, their preparation of that is incredible. Okay, great. All right, how about, uh, you know, hopefully you may be inspired a few folks to consider sharing here. Uh, what is something that you would like to say to somebody who's listening to this podcast and is maybe wants to learn to shear or and doesn't have a lot of experience. What what would be some advice or some encouragement that you, you would give them? I would say go to a school first, um, get the taught right, um, get the correct technique, uh, the correct footwork. It's when you learn it's all in the feet and the footwork and your legs. If they can hold the sheep, then it's always something you have to think about is your legs are holding the sheep. They're the biggest muscles in your body. Use them to manoeuvre the sheep. That allows your left hand to be free and sets up your work area. Your right hand's got the easiest job in shearing. It's going backwards and forwards. Because your right hand's got a dangerous piece of equipment in it that could kill and it has killed people if they cut you, that's all most people think about is what that's doing. They forget about their footwork and what should be happening to present the sheep correct. So my instruction will be go to a school, learn the footwork first, then the only way to get really good and better at it, I think, is number of sheep through your legs. Uh, the amount you shear, the more you shear, the better you'll get and the easier it'll become. So for that, I think it's easiest to go out with the contractors and do two or three seasons with them where they're putting big numbers through your legs and then you'll have the confidence to shear for the smaller hobby farmers that are more particular, they've got their sheep named and then they want uh, the absolute stunning job done on every sheep. So, Yeah. And like you said, it's a continually learning process. Uh, I mean, are you still picking up things even at the position that you're at and still making improvements, um, you know, even to this day? Definitely. We, uh, I met with two other trainers recently and they, we were talking about the first back leg, which is one of the most important parts of the sheep. It sets up everything else. And we we're talking about new options and new ways to go about that. And I'm excited that, yeah, trying this new way and seeing if it, wor it works on some sheep, but it's not working on all the sheep I'm trying it on for me at the moment. So, yeah, just fiddling around with that. You're always concentrating on one section of the sheep per day and trying to invent ways and try and see what else you can come up with to make the job easier. Okay, that's great. Well, we're kind of getting towards the end here. Uh, Mike, we really enjoyed having you. Uh, do you have any any parting thoughts or, or shearing philosophy that you'd like to, to leave us with uh, here in the United States? Uh, yeah, as I said, it's not for everyone. It's a very hard job. Um, but it is great to go and see the world. One of the best things is the people you meet, the people in the industry, whether it's farmers, shearers, we make lifelong friends in this industry and they're all down to earth, such good people, and that is the world over. Um, we know we hear so many, oh, wouldn't you? So such and such a country has arrogant people. Well, all the farmers I've met in every country are so easygoing. They're so down to earth. I've made lifelong friends out of it. 
be prepared that not every day is going to be your best day in the world. Um, you're going to have days where you've got to just grit your teeth and be relaxed, get through the day. Um, yeah, take pride in your job. Um, you, if you're a shearer, you're pretty much your own boss. You can shear as slow or as fast as you want because we're paid per sheep. If you have pride in your job, no one's growling at you. The farmer's not saying we need to do it better. So you take pride in your job. And to get better, the three Ds I live by, desire, determination, dedication. Those three Ds will get you to the top of what you want to achieve. Perfect. Great way to end it. Thank you very much. Mike, I really appreciate it. Um, you know, like I said, you're all the way in, in New South Wales and, and we're here. It's great that modern technology allows us to have these kind of chats and be able to put this, um, you know, this podcast out across the United States. Thanks again for joining us. You're welcome. It's about 105 degrees here at the moment, so I'm good to be inside in the air conditioner. It's quite hot outside, so it's yeah. great. Thanks for having me and look forward to being back in the U.S. next year for some more schools. Yeah, that sounds great. All right, folks, like I said, that does it for us uh, for this month here in January, but be sure and join us in February. We will be back with another ASI research update, uh, but until then, remember, eat lamb, wear wool, and happy shearing. Thanks again.